the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to see you. Glad you're able to be with us today as we continue our study in the book of Romans. Uh, someone asked me earlier, hey, when we go into the Christmas season, are you going to kind of take a break from Romans and begin to look at, at uh, some of the other issues that we often talk about at Christmas? And, and as I began to look at where we are in Romans, I thought, well, in this study of Romans, we're talking about those very things that we talk about at Christmas. So why do I need to get out of Romans? We'll just stay right here. And today we are back in chapter 5 and back at the same 11 verses we have looked at three different times that we've come together. And uh, we're going to finish up, finally, we're going to finish up these 11 verses today and we'll be able to move on uh, to verse 12 next time we're together. But, but in these first 11 verses of chapter 5, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. And uh, there are many believers that are there, and they're really walking through some tough times. It is hard to be a Christ follower in Rome during the time that Paul writes this letter. And the stress that they were under, the persecution that they faced, raises all kinds of questions. And Paul begins to introduce even some teaching that, that was a little bit uh, uh, new to some of them, especially some of the Jewish believers that live there in Rome. In the first three chapters, Paul had established the fact that we are saved. We come to know Jesus as our Savior as a result of faith, not works. So we don't earn it. You don't, you don't go to heaven by being good enough. You don't have to worry about, you know, one day getting to heaven and there's a divine set of scales and God puts all the good stuff you've done on one side and the bad stuff on the other. And as long as the good stuff outweighs the bad, we're going into heaven. And I mean, to live that way is, is to never know if good is good enough, right? We never know uh, what happens. And God says, no, I, I want you to have the assurance of your relationship with me. So salvation is not based on what you do. It's based on what I have done for you in Jesus. And so Paul says, our salvation is based on faith, not works. Now I've told you for the last three weeks what that means for those Jewish believers who were so focused on living a good life and keeping the law and trying to make sure that I do everything I can so God doesn't get mad at me and so I live in such a way that I know that God's pleased with me and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. So Paul says none of that matters. You are saved by faith. And so once they accepted that and they said, okay, it's not by works, we're saved by faith, but uh, what if we mess up after that? What if I really blow it after I have placed my faith in Jesus? Is the deal off? Does God still love me? A am I still forgiven? Is there something I need to do? And, and that was a question that Paul knew would be on their mind. And so he gives us the first 11 verses of chapter 5 to answer that question. And Paul says, okay, I, I know that's what you're thinking, so let me give you the benefits of justification or the benefits of being saved. 
And we've looked at these as we've walked through them. Now let's look at them one more time and then we're going to kind of back up and, and, and look at an overview as we go forward. But beginning with verse 1, we find these words. Therefore, Paul says, having been justified by faith, here's the first one, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained, number two, an in, our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand. And number three, and we exalt or rejoice in the hope uh, in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exalt and we rejoice in, number four, tribulations. Knowing that tribulations bringeth perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint. Because, here's number five, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And while we were still, for while we were still helpless at that time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us much more then. Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And here's number six. And not only this, but we also exalt or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Paul in this, these 11 verses gives us six benefits of being a Christian. Now, this doesn't just apply to the people in Rome. It applies to you today. Now, one of the tragedies is this. You and I have these benefits, but so many of you are living as if you do not have them. You're not taking advantage of them. Now, give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, I have a, a, an iPhone, and I had an older iPhone, and, and I, I honestly liked it because I knew how to work the thing, and, and all of a sudden, the, the, it wouldn't hold a charge, and all kinds of things began to go wrong with the goofy thing. So I had to go get a new phone, and, um, and, and as bad as I hated that process, I had to go get a new phone. So I went and got a new phone, and, and, uh, and I was kind of encouraged because it functions the way my old one did. And, and, and so it didn't take as long to figure it out as I, I thought it would take me to figure out how to use the thing. Well, we went to dinner uh, not long ago with a friend of ours who has a son who's 12 years old. And, um, and the son was sitting at the table with us, and, and, um, and I, I, I had taken my phone. It was in my back pocket, and I'd taken it out, and I'd put it on the table. And, and he says, hey, can I see your phone? And I said, sure. And so I handed him my phone. I opened it, and I handed it to him. And he, he did something, and the phone did something. And I'd never seen the phone do that before, and I said, 
what did you just do? And so he said, well, here, and, and, he, and he showed me, and I said, well, how'd you do that? And he showed me how to do that. And then he said this, and oh, and watch this. And, I, and he did something else, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just do? And he said, well, well this. I said, well, how'd you do that? He, he, and then he said, and let me do this. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't handle anymore. You know what I'm beginning to realize? This phone will do stuff I didn't even know it would do. And I was telling my son about it. My sons are like their mother. They, they all three, when it comes to me, have this amazing amount of mercy. Everybody in my family has mercy. Uh, uh, my, my wife has more mercy than anybody in this room because she's never used any of it. She's got every bit of mercy she was ever born with. She's never used it. And my sons are the same way. They've got a lot of mercy because they don't use it. They just kind of bank it up somewhere. And so I called my son and I, I said, man, I was, I was sitting down and Anderson was showing me all this stuff. And this is what he said. This is my mercy son. Dad, technology is wasted on you. Now, now, you all laugh and know what I'm talking about. Because that thing will do so much. But I have to take the time to figure it out. And, and, it, and even though it'll do all these wonderful things, it does me no good at all if I don't know how to work it. And you know what I've discovered? God has given to us so many amazing amazing benefits. This is just, once you become a child of God, this comes with it. And we never access it. Now let's back up and just kind of reboot as we walk through this together. Paul said, guys, as a child of God, we have peace with God. That means we're no longer at war with God. Now, I've told you, all of us feel like we've never been at war with God. But before you know Jesus, you are an enemy of God. The Bible says you are for me or against me. If you have never accepted Christ, you might be here today and say, well, I don't have any problem with God and the Bible and all that stuff. I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not really an enemy. Yes, you are. God says you are out there and you are an enemy. And, and, and we are enemies of God. But through faith in Christ, guess what? God says, I'm going to accept you and I'm going to offer you forgiveness based on what Jesus has done. And when we place our faith in Jesus, the thing that separates us from God, the thing that makes us an enemy of God, which is our sin, the sin is removed in Jesus and all of a sudden I'm at peace with God. Now, it's not the peace of God, but I'm at peace with God. I'm on God's side now. You know, we sometimes often pray that God will get on our side. Listen, God doesn't take sides. God takes over, right? And when we come to him, we, we become a part of his side. And, and so I'm on his side now. 
and I have the peace of God. Secondly, Paul said, not only do we have the peace of God, he said, we are introduced to that grace. That, that's access. As a result of being a child of God, you can walk into God's presence anytime you want. Anytime you want, you can go into God's throne room, the creator of the universe. In prayer, you and I have direct access to God. I don't have to go through another person. I don't have to go through some ritual or process. I can open my mouth and God hears me. That is the most incredible thing in the world, that God hears me so that no matter where I am, I don't have to be in church. I can be at work and things go bad and things go south and things go wrong and I can open my mouth in that moment and I have access to God. And not only do I have access to God through prayer and as a result of what Jesus has done, I have access to everything God has. All of his power, all of his grace. I don't have to live life in my own power. I don't have to kind of eke out an existence just barely getting by. I can come to him and say, God, I am spent. I am exhausted. I have nothing left. And in that moment, Paul said, in my weakest moment, that's when I'm strongest. Because I come to God and I receive from him by access his strength. Well, not only does he say we have peace with God and access, he says... We have the hope of glory. You know, there is something in every one of us that seeks for justice, right? That's why we struggle in this world. There's so much injustice. There's so much wrong. And there's something in us that just wants it to be made right. And I think the reason that we're really struggling right now is we see our world spiraling out of control and, 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 and we realize, I don't think this, everything, this thing's ever going to be turned back around. I don't know that it's ever going to be made right again. But you know what God says? One day everything's going to be made right. One day there will be justice. One day we're going to be in the presence of God in a place where all wrongs are right and everything is as God planned and our hearts are going to sing and say, yes, I finally found my home. I feel so out of place here. There's so many things wrong. There's something, and listen, the reason you have this angst in you as a Christian is because you're not from here. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, suddenly your residence is now in heaven and you're never going to feel at home until you're there. But until we get there, he gives us the hope that we're going to get there. And the thing that allows us to get through the stuff that doesn't make sense on earth is the reality that, man, one day, I'm going to be with him. When we lose a loved one, the way we get through that grief is the reality that one day, I'm going to see them again. And this death stuff is going to be done and gone. It, I, I, this, it, it doesn't seem natural because it's not. You and I were built to live forever. And so Paul says, we're at peace with God. We have access to God. We have the hope of God. And, and that's focused there. But what about in the here and now? Paul says, well, in the here and now, we've got trouble. 
How in the world is that a benefit? What did we say last week? Because we know some things. Because of what I know, every challenge I face in life is different. I know that God's going to use everything that happens to me for my good and his glory. I know that every challenge I face is going to bring me closer to him. I know that God is at work behind the scenes. I don't like what's happening. I don't like trouble. I don't like tribulation. But I know this, the things that I know, everybody has trouble. So I'm not, God's not just picking on me. And he's not mad at me. We all have trouble. Every one of us have heartache. Every person in the world will face tribulation. But the difference between me and those that don't know God is what I know is more important than what I don't know. I don't know why all the time things are happening to me. But I know what. I know that God is using it for my good. So what we learned last week was we've learned to ask the question when we face trials and tribulations. I'm not going to say, God, why is this happening? What I'm going to say is, God, what are you wanting to teach me? What are you up to? Where are you working in my life? Or not just what, how do you want me to respond in this situation? How do you want to work in my life as we move forward? Well, we've seen those four things, so it just makes sense that we come to number four, number five, when Paul says, and the fifth benefit of the child of God is that he loves us. You are a child of God, and God loves you. We are privileged to say as the children of God that we're loved. And, and Paul offers such a powerful picture of this when he says that the love of God is poured out on us. I mean, the, it's the picture of God taking this massive barrel of love and just dumping it on top of you. And it has not just the attitude of, of that past action of God loved me and that was so wonderful in the moment. It has continued action. It is as if God turns the barrel of love upside down over you and he continues to just pour it over you so that every part of your life is drenched with the love of God. So there's no part of you that is untouched by the love of God. Now, that's an experiential thing. It, it literally means that you and I experience the certainty of knowing that we are loved by God. And that comes, he says, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance. This is what the Holy Spirit assures you of. You are loved by God, period. That's it. No ifs, ands, and buts. No attachment. No addendum. You are loved by God. The work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God and Christ and draw us to him. And often I think he does that through his love. There's an amazing verse in the Bible and a song that we sing sometimes that comes from that verse. The verse you, you remember says, perfect love casts out all fear. And you remember the popular song we sing sometimes fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love what does that mean 
Well, it means that when I'm loved perfectly and God's love is perfect, then I don't have to be afraid of him. I don't have to fear because he's going to take care of me. It's the picture of, 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 of mom and dad with children. And, and when something happens, where do the children run? And, 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 you know, in those moments when they're insecure, when they get behind you and they hang on to your leg and they peep around the edge and there is security and safety with the one they love. And, and you know what's really amazing? It's not just the mom and dad thing. My grandkids do the same thing. And maybe your niece and nephew would do the same thing. Why? Because it's connected to love when they know they're loved. When they know and are secure in that love, then I don't have to be afraid of you. I can hide behind you. I can trust you. It's the, it's the little boy in the swimming pool when we're, when we're saying to him, and he is frightened, and he's scared to death, and he doesn't want to jump into the water, and, and we hold our hands up, and we say, oh, okay, honey, I'm going to catch you, and you can jump, and everything's going to be okay. And finally, they muster up not nerve to overcome their fear because they trust you. And they overcome that fear and jump into the water, not because they're strong and not because they've psychologically figured out how to beat fear, but because they know the person standing there loves them and will not drop them and will protect them. And so they just bail off into your arms in trust. That's what that verse means when it says that the love of God gets rid of fear. And, and you know, fear paralyzes us. I think fear is the number one problem that many are experiencing in our world today. Fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of success. Oh my goodness, paranoia. We've got, I mean, we don't have enough time to talk about all the different paranoias that people have and, and, and all of the things that they are afraid of. And, and the Bible says, but perfect love casts that out. Perfect love's not to be confused with lust. There's a lot of lust in our world today that looks like love. And it's attractive and we are drawn into it thinking that it is love only to discover that it's a selfish Motive on the part of another person, not true love. It's not to be confused by conditional love. Many of us know what that's like too, don't we? To be loved but only if we do this or only if we act this way or only if we accomplish this. But perfect love is unconditional. And it demonstrates that we don't have to be afraid ever of God. And that means that whatever God tells us in his word, you don't have to be afraid to do that because he loves you. And if he loves you perfectly, he will never ask you to do anything that's not good for you. He will never tell you to do something that would harm you. If the opposite is true. Because he loves you, we can trust and follow him. That's how God loves us perfectly. And Paul goes one step further and he allows us to see that love on display in verse 8. He said, God showed his love for us, you and me, in that while we were at our worst, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were a mess, before we knew any better or knew anything, he loved us. And it's amazing, we often judge ourselves by our best days, don't we? We judge ourselves by our strengths, but God looks at us and says, my love surpasses that because my love for you is when you are at your worst, at your most vulnerable place, I sent Jesus to die for you. When you were rotten to the core and there was nothing that we could see worth salvaging, God loved us even in that condition. In fact, he goes on to say that, that the love that God has for us surpasses any human love that we could understand because he says, scarcely will, will one die for a righteous man, but maybe for a good person one will die. Uh, Paul is simply saying this. Um, you, you hear stories from time to time about a person giving his life for another, but that's, those are exceptions to the rule. That's not the rule. And even if we give our life for another person, maybe if, if I deem that person good enough, but, but if given an opportunity and, and I've got a mass murderer and, and a pedophile and a person who has gone through the system and we see every despicable thing the person ever did and he's on death row and in our mind he deserves to be there and given you an opportunity, you could die in his place and he lives. Most of us would say, no. And I'd die for my kids. I might die for my, my husband. I might die for my wife. But, but, but not for somebody that despicable. And God says, let me, let me just compare the, you see, your human love doesn't even come close to the love that I have for you. Because you were like that when I loved you. You were like that when I sent Jesus. Lost in your sin and rebellion. But God's love's bigger than that. In fact, it, it, it's, it, it's so big that he sees us and accepts us at our worst, but he loves us too much to leave us there. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. And, and, and in fact, let me just camp out here for just a second because I think this is really critical. I think understanding that God loves me is so critical for you that Satan attacks here more than any other area in our life. It is the Holy Spirit who says and affirms and confirms for us that we are loved, period. Now what that means is this, any voice you hear in your head that tells you God doesn't love you, any voice you hear in your head that tells you you're not good enough, any voice in your head that tells you that God can't love you based on the things that you have done and the things that have happened in your life and the things that you have been through. And there are voices sometimes that we hear in our ear that says, oh, that's fine and good. The pastor can talk about that. And God loves everybody in this church, but nobody knows what you did. Nobody knows your past. Nobody knows what you've thought. Nobody knows the circumstances of your life. And God could never love you under 
under those circumstances. Oh, he can love everybody else, but he will never love you. Listen, any voice that says God does not love you is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit always affirms God's love. Now, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He doesn't let us get by when we do wrong. He convicts us of sin, but, but he does that to correct us and bring us back to God in love. He, he doesn't, here's the difference. He convicts, he does not condemn. The voice that condemns us says, God does not love me. Listen, God loves you. And if you can get your mind wrapped around that, it'll change your perspective. God loves you just like you are. You may not love yourself, but God loves you just like you are. And if you begin to accept God's love, God will allow you to learn to love yourself. He'll help you through those other issues. The benefit of being his child is to know that he loves us. I kind of see it this way. I think God has a refrigerator in heaven. It's got my picture on it. And you know what? In the Bible, in the, in the, in the book of Revelation, it's really kind of interesting. The writer of the Revelation says that when we pray, God keeps your prayers. He treasures them. He keeps them, kind of like in a bowl somewhere in heaven. Your, your prayers are so precious to God that you would come, your, your, your access, your coming to him is so precious that, that, he, that he, holds, he, he puts them on the refrigerator somewhere and he hangs them up there. That's my son. And I love him. I want to look at it and say, what a mess up I am. But no, God says, no, I, I, I love him. Isn't that what we do? Your children, you put their artwork on your refrigerator. You put their picture on the refrigerator. And every time you see it, you're not condemning them. You're not, you, you, you're just, I love that kid with everything in me. God loves you. Well, shouldn't surprise us that Paul ends with number six by saying the final one is joy. More than that, in verse 11, he said, we exalt in God. Uh, the word exalt can be translated rejoice. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love this. I want to very quickly give it to you. The word rejoice means to return to the source of your joy. That's what rejoice means. Return to the source of your joy. So important, I want you to say it with me, okay? Re rejoice means to return to the source of your joy. So say that with me. Return to the source of your joy. And you know what Paul tells us in that verse? Something that we don't some, uh, often think about. God is our joy. God's the prize. You know what we get out of being saved? We get Jesus. We get God. That's the prize. Return to the source of your joy. God's the source of our joy. We get him. The prize of our salvation is Jesus. The God that loves us at our worst is our prize. And our greatest joy 
in life is him. Now, here's the problem. That's not true for so many of us. And here's the rub. For many of you, your greatest joy is not God. And I just want to ask you the question, what is the source of your joy? Where's your greatest joy? Is your greatest joy in your children? Is your greatest joy in your grandchildren? Is it in your job? Is it in your accomplishments? Is it in your achievements? Is it in a title that you have or carry? Is it in a bank account that you have? Is it in a house? Because this is what I've learned. If your joy is placed anywhere other than God, it will disappoint. Your children will disappoint you. They're human. Your mom and dad, they're going to disappoint you. Your brothers and sisters are going to disappoint you. Your pastor is going to disappoint you. If your joy is in a bank account, the stock market will disappoint you. If your joy is in your accomplishments, you know what I've discovered? The closer I get to the end, this is really a weird thing that I'm walking through. I thought that the closer I get to the end of ministry, I was gonna to get to the point at some point where I could kind of coast. You know what I'm discovering? I'm gonna to have to work harder now than I've ever worked before because the rules are changing. Because technology's wasted on me, I'm having to catch up. I'm having to learn stuff and all of a sudden if that's where my joy is, guess what? My joy is just blown, man. But if my joy's in him, it's safe and it's secure and it's not fleeing with every little whim that comes along. Maybe one of the ways that we can ask ourselves the question or discover where our joy is is to, to ask, because I believe all of us, most of us struggle with misplaced joy. So, so maybe this would be a good question for you. What makes you angry? What is it that makes you angry? Not enough money in the bank account? When your husband doesn't live up to your expectation, when your wife doesn't live up to your expectation, what is it that disappoints you? What is it that angers you? What is it that frustrates you? Often, that's a result of the fact that we have put our source of joy there instead of in him. And so Paul says, one of the benefits of knowing him is that we as a child of God are safe not touched by disappointments here when we put our joy there. A benefit, this is a gift, a benefit that gives security is when we place our joy in him. So summon everything up that we've looked at. You and I, it came when we accepted Jesus. We're at peace with God. So here's my question for you. Are you living like you are at peace with God? Well, what does that look like? Well, it means I'm obedient and I'm walking in his direction. What does it look like to be an enemy of God, to rebel? So I'm asking you a question. In your life, are you walking in concert with God or are you in rebellion? 
Are you walking as if, are you living as if you are at peace with God? The second question, are you living as if you have access to God? Are you spending time with him? Are you spending time in his word and in prayer? Do you recognize that you have that opportunity? What about hope? Do you live with a confident hope and you walk serving God faithfully even with the challenges of life because we know that our hope in heaven is secure or are you sidelined because of doubt and discouragement? What about trouble? How are you handling the tribulation in your life? Are you remembering that what you know is greater than what you don't? And are you asking the question today in your challenge of tribulation, what and how instead of why? Are you living like a person loved by God with a confident assurance? I don't care what happens in this world and it doesn't make any difference what you say or think. God loves me. And nothing will ever change that. I am loved as much as a person can be by God who knows everything there is to know about me. And is your joy in him? Or is it in the stuff around you? Those are the benefits that you and I receive when we receive Christ as our Savior. But we must walk in them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today. Over the last few weeks, we've made some amazing discoveries. I've needed this. I've needed to be reminded that I'm at peace with you. We're not at war. So I want to live like I'm at peace with you. I want to walk in obedience and concert. I don't want to walk in rebellion. I have access to you, and so I want to take advantage of that and come into your presence all the time. I don't have to walk through life alone and in my own power. God, you've given me hope so that so many people are hopeless and the world looks like it's falling apart. I can say, you know what? One day it's going to all be made right. And I'm looking for that house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. But in the meantime, as I walk through trouble and trials, I recognize that you are able to take everything thrown at me and use it for my good to grow me, encourage me. You love me too much to take me out of the problems that I'm facing. You let me walk through it so that I can know you. And I want to live, God, with an understanding that I am loved. I am loved as much as a human being can be loved by God. And nothing will ever change that. And I have a joy that cannot be stolen, that is eternal, because my prize, my trophy is you. Not what I've done, but you. I get you. Thank you for that reality. In Jesus' name, amen.
from everyone at Southcliff Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.